As I said last week, the mantra for this series is Proverbs chapter 19, verse number 3, which simply means you're going to hear this verse over and over again until we finish this series. And hopefully, by that time, you're going to have this verse memorized. So take a look at the screen as I read Proverbs 19, 3. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. Now, the word ruin is translated from the Hebrew word salaf, which means to twist, to turn upside down, to pervert, to distort, or as we would say today, to screw up. So what this verse is actually saying is that we screw our lives up by doing foolish things, and then we get angry at God like it's his fault. And I see that happen all the time, and I'm sure you do too. Why? Why do we see people doing this all of the time? Well, because it's human nature to blame God for our own screw-ups. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. And let me show you where this all got started. Here we are in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve have sinned, and this is what it says. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Now, I want you to notice that Adam didn't just blame Eve for giving him the forbidden fruit, but he also blamed God. Notice what he said. He said, it was the woman you gave me, implying that if God had not created Eve, then she never would have given him the forbidden fruit, and he never would have sinned. So ultimately, the sin was whose fault? God's fault. So as I said, it's human nature to blame God whenever we screw up, whenever we make a mistake. And it all started with Adam. But the truth is, if our life is screwed up, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. We either made some foolish decisions or we did some foolish things. So we need to take responsibility for our actions and then start applying God's word to fix the problem. Now, as I told you last week, every day, Every one of us make mistakes. But thankfully, most of the mistakes that we make won't ruin our life. In other words, they have short-term effects and they have very little impact on us. So in two or three days, we forget about the mistakes we made. Some of you made a mistake on Thursday and you really feel bad about it and you beat yourself up about it. You say, oh God, forgive me over and over again. But today you're thinking, what was that I did? Why are you like that? Because the majority of the mistakes we make they don't have any long-term effect, and they don't impact us very much. But there are certain mistakes that we can make that can turn our life upside down, and it will affect us for the rest of our life. Now, I'm not saying that you cannot recover from those type of mistakes. You can, but it's going to be a long and difficult process, and sometimes the effects of that one mistake will remain with you for the rest of your life. It doesn't ruin your life, but it's always there, and it makes life more difficult. Those are the type of mistakes that we don't want to make. Now, the good news is there's only a few of those type of mistakes. The bad news is those types of mistakes are easy to make. That's why I named this series Four Easy Ways to Ruin Your Life. Because that's the truth. Now, last week I gave you the number one way to ruin your life. Addiction. So this morning we're going to look at the second way that you can ruin your life. Survey says adultery. 
Oh my. Yep, we're going to go there. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verse number 32. It says, but the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. Now, according to this verse, any man or woman who has an affair, who commits the act of adultery, is a fool. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. Now, why does the Bible consider him to be a fool? Well, it's because he doesn't realize that by committing adultery, he's destroying himself. I want you to underline the word destroy. Destroy is translated from the Hebrew word shakaf, and it means to bring injury and ruin upon yourself. So according to this verse, having an affair will do two things. Number one, it will end up injuring you or hurting you spiritually, mentally, emotionally, financially, and we could keep going on and on. Secondly, it will ruin you. It might be your reputation that's ruined. It might be your marriage. It might be your finances. But, but whatever it is, let me promise you, you won't come out of it unscathed. Some way it's going to infect, affect your life, and it's going to affect your life in a major way. In fact, the book of Job actually gives us a little more insight into how an affair can destroy us. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Job. Chapter 31, I'm going to read verses 9 through 12. Follow along with me if you don't mind. If my heart has been seduced by a woman, or if I have lusted for my neighbor's wife, then may my wife belong to another man, may other men sleep with her. For adultery is a shameful sin, a crime that should be punished. It is a devastating fire that destroys to hell. It would wipe out everything I own. Now, in these verses, Job recognizes the price that a person pays whenever they have an affair. In fact, Job tells us that there are four possible consequences. Now, the reason I use the word possible is because these consequences may not happen, or I should say all of the time, but there's a good chance that they will. In fact, 90% of the time, all four of these things will happen when a person has an affair. But it doesn't mean that they always will happen. Sometimes only one of the four or two of the four. But most of the time, it's four of the four. So let me give you the four things that usually happens whenever a person has an affair. First of all, you normally lose your spouse. In other words, your marriage breaks up. Look at verses 9 and 10. If my heart has been seduced by a woman, or if I have lusted for my neighbor's wife, then may my wife belong to another man. May other men sleep with her. Now I want you to understand, Job's just not saying, well, if this happens, then I wish this upon myself. What he's doing is he's looking at the consequences of this and he's telling himself, if I do this, I need to understand what I am willing to sacrifice. If I do this, may I let this happen because this is normally what takes place. The truth of the matter is most marriages cannot survive an affair. And as a result, you usually divorce and your spouse remarries. And I'll be honest with you, they have every right to do so. According to Jesus, in Matthew the 19th chapter, verse number 9, he says, you have the right to divorce. Notice what this verse says. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So, according to Jesus, 
If your spouse is unfaithful, you have every right to divorce them and to remarry. Now, I just want you to understand. I'm telling you right up front, if my wife ever has an affair, I'm divorcing her. We're going to be married for 30 years. But our marriage is built on trust. If she undermines that trust to the point that she has an affair. Now, I could be wrong. I could come to the point where I say, you know, I love her so much. God, help me to forgive her, and I do. But God will leave it ultimately up to me. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt if I ever have an affair, she's not only divorcing me, she's going to kill me. <laughs> she can use my 9 millimeter, and she's going to empty the clip into me, and I'm going to be buried. And if you're on the jury, go ahead and set her free. All right, just want you to understand that. But let's suppose that you are lucky enough not to lose your spouse. Well, people, don't be deceived. Even if they stay with you, having an affair will affect your marriage for the rest of your life. Why? Because as I said, marriage is built upon trust. And what you've done is you've undermined that trust. And so the foundation is now going to have to be completely rebuilt. You're going to have to build trust again. And every once in a while, I'll see a couple where one of them committed an affair, and they'll come to see me, and they're having marital problems. And the one who committed the affair will say, I just don't understand. She won't trust me at all. And I have to explain to them, you have undermined the trust, and that's all that marriage is built upon. Honey, I got news for you. You're going to have to rebuild that. Well, how long is that going to take? I don't know. But I can tell you this. As quickly as you tore it down, it will not be rebuilt that fast. The second thing that usually happens when you have an affair is that, your, that, is that your reputation is forever tarnished. People don't forget. No matter how much time has passed. Look at verse number 11. For adultery is a shameful sin. A crime that should be punished. Now I want you to notice what the Bible is saying here. Adultery is not just a sin. It is a shameful sin now you need to realize something not all sin is the same not all sin carries the same consequences now all sin will separate you from God and means that you need to be saved through Jesus Christ but you also need to understand that some sins are more serious and the consequences of those sins are more serious and the Bible recognizes that and he says adultery is not just a sin it is a shameful sin what that means is that people don't just think it's wrong they think it's shameful that you acted that way and they will never forget the shameful thing that you did the only way that you can actually get away from it is actually move from the community because if you don't move from the community, people will remember 40 years from now. They'll be talking about you. Yeah, do you remember when? Yes. Notice what Proverbs chapter 6, verses 32 and 33 says. But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. He will be wounded and disgraced. His shame will never be erased. Verse 33 says, his shame will never be erased. Which is just another way of saying, people will never forget. And I can prove that to you. Let me just tell you a little story that actually happened. Several years, and I think it was before Drew came to be our youth pastor, but we were looking for a youth pastor, and we were actually advertising nationwide. And this person applied for the position. He was a children's pastor at Ted, Hag Ted Haggard's old church. And it was a church of 10,000 people. And I thought, wow, this guy wants to come here and be our, our youth pastor. And 
I was very excited about it, and I, I went through his resume, and it seemed to be so impressive. And so we interviewed him, and, and he just had a fantastic interview. I looked at his skills. I looked at his education. I thought, man, this guy is perfect. But I've learned. Call the references. So I called all the references. He got a glowing uh, reference from every one of them. But there was something that just wasn't right. One of the churches that he listed, I couldn't find. And so what I did was I called the town that he said that he had pastored in, and there was no church by that name. And when I called a church that was close to that name, they said, no, this isn't that church. He's never worked here. But you know what? The name of the church you gave me is in the next county. You might try them. And I said, well, do you know the phone number? He said, just a second. He said, I got a county phone book. He opened it up, gave me the phone number, and I called. And sure enough, I talked to the pastor. And the pastor said, mm-mm, you don't want him. I don't. He said, no. You see, he had an affair. And no one knew about it until it eventually blew up in the church because the woman he had the affair with went to the church. And they said it almost split the church. So he left here disgraced. He said, no wonder he didn't tell you where the church was located. He said, let me just tell you something. I don't believe he was ever repentive. I would not hire him. So the guy called me back because I just didn't contact him. And I was going to write him a nice little letter. But he called me back and he said, I noticed you hadn't responded. And I said, yeah, I was going through some other candidates. I said, I was going to get back with you. But I said, we're not going to go with you. And he was shocked. He said, well, I just thought the interviews went great. I said, they did. I said, I got a hold of the church that uh, you were the youth pastor in. And I gave him the name of the city. He said, oh. He said, yeah. That's why I lied on my resume. He said, it follows me everywhere I go. Now, I'll be honest with you. I would have forgiven him. Probably would have hired him. But the problem is he lied on the resume. And that showed me a second flaw in his character. When it comes to ministry, character is everything. Now, people, that was years ago, but I can guarantee you what he did will follow him for the rest of his life. The third thing that usually happens when you have an affair is that it affects you spiritually. Turn back to Job chapter 31. Let's read verses 9 through 12. And I'm going to concentrate on the first part of verse 12. If my heart has been seduced by a woman, or if I have lusted for my neighbor's wife, then may my wife belong to another man. May other men sleep with her. For adultery is a shameful sin, a crime that should be punished. It is a devastating fire that destroys to hell. Did you catch that? It is a devastating fire that destroys to hell. Now, the reason that adultery is a devastating fire that destroys to hell is because in order to commit adultery, you have to completely turn your back on what you know is right or wrong. And you have to completely turn your back on God because the truth is you cannot stay in a right relationship with God and continually sin, especially a sin that you know is so blatantly wrong. This is why I think it is horrible when a minister is having an affair and he's still getting up behind the pulpit and preaching. We see it all the time. 
But here they're li- not only living a lie, and some people, well, they were living a lie. Honey, that wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it was whenever you commit adultery, it is so clear-cut in the Bible that this is wrong, that you literally have to turn your back upon God and the Word of God to stay in that sin. So whenever you see a minister having an affair and he's still getting up and preaching, let me tell you something. His credibility goes down the toilet. And the reason it does is because he has turned his back on God and God's Word, and now he's claiming to have a right relationship with God. You want to know why Carlton Pearson went into universalism? Honey, we're talking about it right now. The reason you get off into error and the reason you get off into sin is because you have to turn your back on God and what his word teaches. The fourth thing that usually happens when you have an affair is that it wipes you out financially. Now, some of you men, this is where you sit up. Ooh, financially, yes. Look at the last part of verse number 12. It is a devastating fire that destroys to hell. It would wipe out everything I owe. Did you see that? Now we've looked at other scriptures that talk about the very same thing. But the Bible recognizes that when you have an affair, not only will it break up your marriage, but it will devastate you financially. And I have seen this time and time again. A couple works hard all of their life, and they accumulate quite a bit of wealth, quite a bit of material possessions, but an affair happens, and then suddenly they divorce, and both parties suffer financially. The only ones who benefit are the lawyers, and I don't begrudge them. They're doing their job, and if you're ever getting a divorce, You want the meanest and the nastiest lawyer out there. So if your husband or your wife ever has an affair, come see me. I'll tell you who that is. And I mean it as a compliment. Someone who says, man, he's a mean pastor. I take that as a compliment. Now, knowing all of this, it's no wonder that the book of Proverbs says that only a fool would have an affair. But people do it all the time. They throw common sense out the door and end up ruining their lives. Now, if you take a look at the statistics, it's very scary. According to the Journal of Psychology and Christianity, 65% of husbands and 55% of wives will commit adultery by the age of 40. Now, the last time I taught on adultery, I used 1996 statistics. At that time, it was 60% of men and 45% of women. Did you notice how much it's jumped? With men, it's jumped by 5%, but with women, it's jumped by 10%. 65% of husbands and 55% of wives will commit adultery by the age of 40. In fact, more than 80% of all marriages are affected by adultery. What do you mean by that, Pastor Allen? Well, what I mean is that in 8 out of 10 marriages, either the husband or the wife has had an affair. So if we were to take 10 couples, and we were to say, stand up, have these 10 couples, at least 8 out of the 10, either the husband or the wife has had an affair. Now, I'd like to say that the statistics for Christians uh, are different, but I can't. 65% of Christian husbands... And 55% of Christian wives will commit adultery by the age of 40. 80% of all Christian marriages are affected by adultery. 
So let me ask you this question. If adultery is so devastating, why do so many people do it? Well, today I'm going to explain why. I'm going to tell you why. It's because they do the things that lead to adultery and they don't even know it. Let me say that again. It's because one person in the marriage does the things that leads to adultery and they don't even know they're doing it. So even though most people think that affairs just happen, they really don't. So every once in a while, you'll run into a person, and that person will say, well, yeah, I had an affair, and said, you know, it just happened. Now, they honestly think that, that it just happened. But let me just, let me just tell you the truth here. Affairs don't just happen. People do certain things that eventually leads to adultery. So let me show you the progressive steps that ultimately leads to adultery. And again, let me add, some people actually take these steps innocently. They're naive. They don't realize they're doing it until eventually they're caught up in an affair. So let me give you these progressive steps that ultimately leads to adultery. If you're taking notes, write these down. Step number one, the first thing that happens is the couple neglects their marriage. Listen to me. If the grass looks greener on the other side, what that means is you need to water your own yard. So work on your marriage. That means you need to spend time together. You need to go on dates. Wives, listen to me. You need to have sex, not just sex, great sex. And if you have problems, get counseling. I cannot tell you how many times someone will tell me, well, we can't afford counseling. If your car breaks down, and that's a piece of junk, at least it will be in 10 to 15 years. You're not going to keep that the rest of your life. But if your car breaks down, you'll take it in the shop. If it costs $2,500 to get it fixed, you'll get it fixed. But when your marriage, something that's supposed to last for a lifetime, breaks down, you won't spend $150 an hour to get it fixed. I do not understand that. I do not understand that. At all. But whatever you have to do, don't neglect your marriage. The second thing that happens is they start enjoying common interests with someone of the opposite sex, someone other than their spouse. It could be a coworker, it could be a neighbor, it could be someone who enjoys the same hobbies. And then when they begin to enjoy those common interests, guess what takes place? An emotional bond begins to develop. It can be innocently, but it does. Which leads to the third thing. They start anticipating the time they're going to spend together. The time they're going to spend with that person of the opposite sex other than their spouse. The fourth thing that happens is they start flirting with each other. Saying those little things. Now, because an emotional bond is already developed, there's sizzle when that happens. So now you've got chemistry going. And pretty soon, bam, they're having an affair. And they'll tell you, I don't know how it happened. It just happened. Because all it takes is one kiss. But honey, it didn't just happen. It didn't just happen. You took all of the progressive steps, even if you were doing it naively. You started enjoying these common interests. A bond began to develop. Oh, yeah. 
You started anticipating your time together. You started flirting with one another. And then the kiss happened. And let me tell you, the kiss is all it takes before you know all your clothes are off. You're in bed together and wham, you're having an affair. And that's how it happens. And to be honest with you, it's easy to do. That was easy. So, that's why you have to take certain steps to make sure that it doesn't happen to you. And Solomon actually tells us what steps we need to take in the book of Proverbs. In fact, because adultery is such a dangerous sin and because it's so easy to fall into, did you realize that Solomon actually dedicates three whole chapters to the subject of adultery? Chapters 5, 6, and 7. All three of those chapters deal with adultery. But all we're going to do is look at verse number five, or chapter 5 this morning. So let me give you the three steps you need to take to keep yourself from having an affair. And again, if you're not taking notes, you need to be taking notes because it can happen to anyone. And write these three things down. Step number one, do whatever it takes to keep yourself from being tempted and to keep yourself from being put into a compromising position. Turn to Proverbs chapter 5. Let me read verses 8 through 10. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Now, I want you to understand, I was telling you about the financial devastation. This is why I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. If you do, you will lose your honor and will lose to, will lose to merciless people all you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth, and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. Now, I just wanted to throw that in. But the thing that I want you to see is he said, stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. In other words, don't put yourself in a position to be tempted. And the way you do that is by placing certain boundaries. That's what Solomon meant by stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Or you might say, if it's a co-worker, the door of her office. Step number two. Keep the passion alive in your marriage. I'm going to show you something interesting, and I'm going to offend some of you traditional people. So my advice is get over it. All right? Look at Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. My wife's going to shoot me for saying this, but there are times that I get over here, let your breast satisfy me. But anyways. <laughs> May you always be captivated by her love. Sorry, honey, I shouldn't have done that, should I? <laughs> it's true, though. See, you know more about me than you want to. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breast of a promiscuous woman? Now, let me come back and read that again because you all were laughing. It's very important. Let her breast satisfy you always. Now, this is where we get serious. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breast of a promiscuous woman? Now, I want you to underline the word captivated because this is a very important word. It, it appears in verses 19 and 20. That word captivated is translated from the Hebrew word shagah. 
Shaga is a really interesting word because you can't define it with one word. You see, some Hebrew words are more like word pictures. That means that it takes a whole sentence to describe what that word means. And shaga is one of those words. It is a word picture. So let me see if I can describe what the word shaga means. I want you to imagine an animal stalking another animal. Maybe it's a cheetah, maybe it's a lion, maybe it's a tiger. But it's stalking that animal and then it finally gets there and it pounces on the animal. It kills it and then it begins to eat it. That animal passion is what the Hebrew word shaga means. The King James Version translates it as ravished. The New American Standard translates it as exhilarated. The English Standard Version translates it as intoxicated. The New King James Version translates it as enraptured. The NIV translates it as captivated. And all of those translations, along with the New Living Translation, capture a part of what shaga means. But the best way to describe what it really means is to say animal passion. So I want you to turn to someone and say animal passion. So what Solomon was saying is this. Son, you need to have a great sex life with your wife. There needs to be some animal passion. Wild monkey sex. <laughs> now I know for some of you, you're going, well, that shouldn't be said in church. <laughs> Honey, that's because you've been raised in a traditional church and that church did not teach the word of God. You go study what Shagah means. It means be captivated by your wife. It means she was stalking you, she was prowling you, she pounced on you and before you knew it, woo! And then Solomon goes further. Why have great sex with an immoral woman when you've got a great wife at home who can give you great sex? Wake up, son. If it's boring, if it's monotonous, shake it up. So step number two is keep the passion in your marriage. Turn to someone and say animal, animal passion. Shaga. Yeah, you heard that in church. And the last step is to visualize the devastation that will occur if an affair happens. I want you to look at verses 3, 4, and 5 in Proverbs chapter 5. It says, For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Oh yeah, it's new, it's exciting, it's mystery. But in the end, in the end... Think about what's going to happen in the end. She is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. In other words, having an affair is not worth the price you have to pay. So you need to think about that before you do something stupid. Now, if you're attracted to someone, you need to stay away from that person. Don't put yourself in a compromising position. If that person works in your office, you make sure that you never work with that person unless everyone's around and only do the basics with them. If that person goes to your gym, you need to go to another gym. If you can't go to another gym, you go at a different time. Or you take your wife with you. 
You know, years ago before I went to the ministry, my brother and I, we opened up a fitness center called Nolan's Gym. And then later on, we divided it. And the reason we did is because of this very thing. We named it Proverbs 31 Lady and it was just for women. But let me tell you why we did that. We had so many affairs come as the result. We weren't open six months and at least ten affairs had happened. People came in, started working out, got to talking. They're all about their bodies. They're looking at this. They have a common interest. Usually the spouse is not working out. And before you know it, an emotional bond developed. And now they started anticipating the time they spent with each other. They started making sure they worked out together. Even said, hey, can you spot me a while? Well, I bench press 400 pounds. And I'd look at that and say, hey, 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 I'll spot you. No, I'm just teasing. I didn't do that. But I, we noticed what was taking place. Then they started flirting with each other, and then, bam, they were having an affair. So if you're going to the gym, and there's someone you're really attracted to, and they're attracted to you, you need to wake up. You might like it now, and the pleasure might be temporary, but you need to see the end result of that. And that's what Solomon is saying. Now, I want to end on a positive note because I am an optimist, and God is an optimist. So let me say this. If, for some reason, you've committed adultery in the past, I want to assure you, you have not committed the unpardonable sin. I'm not saying that. I am not saying you cannot be forgiven. I'm not saying that you cannot reconstruct your life. I'm not saying you can't reconstruct your marriage. I'm just telling you, you're going to put yourself through a lot of heartache. So when we talk about four easy ways to ruin your life, I don't mean that you cannot overcome any of these four things. Well, actually, the fourth one you cannot overcome. And you'll understand why when we get there. But the other three doesn't mean you cannot overcome them. I'm just telling you, it's going to be so hard. And the majority of your life is going to be spent regretting the decisions that you made or the actions that you have done. But I do want you to understand because I, am, I, I know. I know those statistics bear witness here. I know the majority of you are married to someone, and this is your second marriage or it's their second marriage, and the reason why their marriage, previous marriage or your previous marriage broke up is because of an affair. I understand that if we had eight or ten couples stand up, eight out of the ten couples, at least one or the others had an affair either in this marriage they're in previously or in one in the past. I know that. I understand that. And that's why I'm telling you, listen to me. You have not committed the unpardonable sin. You can be forgiven and rebuild your life and have a great life. But you know firsthand it's tough. But let me just assure you, you can be forgiven. Turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Let me tell you, I don't like getting up here and condemning, and I don't do that. If you've had an affair, I am not condemning you. I understand how easy it is. I thank God that I work every day with my wife. She's my best friend. We're always together. I don't want to spend time with hardly anyone else but her. But because of that, we're never put into a compromising position. We're never put in a place where we can be tempted. But I understand how people are tempted and they go through these progressive steps and they end up having an affair and they realize it just happened. It didn't just happen, but it seemed like it just happened. So I want you to understand that I'm not condemning you because I understand how easy it is. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus didn't come to this world to condemn you. He came into this world to save you. And you need to understand that. 
Now, to prove that adultery can be forgiven, we're going to look at a story about Jesus in the Gospels. It's in the Gospel of John. I'm going to start in John chapter 8, and I'm going to read beginning in verse number 4. It says, They said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now, I want you to understand, it doesn't mean in their time that the man was married, which he probably was, but it does specifically tell us because of the word that's used that she was married to someone else than the person she was having sex with. All right? So she was committing adultery. She was caught in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. Why? Because it's a sin that deserves to be punished. That's the law. But what do you say? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest. Why? Because the oldest have more wisdom. They were the first one to catch on to what Jesus was saying, and they left. Even unto the last, the youngest. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst... When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now you need to understand something. Jesus wasn't breaking the law. He was just adding a balance to it. And he had come to fulfill the law. He knew that he was going to personally take her sin, carry it to the cross, go into hell after his physical body had died. His soul would go into hell and he would pay the penalty for her personal sin. So he was in no way saying, well, you know, that law doesn't apply. He was just saying, I came to fulfill the law. I came to take the sin of the world, not to condemn you, but to save you. I'm here to take everyone's sin, take it upon myself in my own body so that sin can be condemned in the flesh, my flesh. So he didn't condemn her. But here's what he said. Go and sin no more. Recognize your salvation. Recognize what Christ has done for you. And make sure that you're never flippant about sin. But my point is this. You can be forgiven. That's why Jesus came. Your spouse might not forgive you. Your kids might not forgive you. But God forgives you through Jesus Christ. And you can rebuild your life. But why rebuild when you don't have to tear it down in the first place? Let's build strong marriages and not make that mistake.